Now, this passage has a context. As a matter of fact, every passage of Scripture that you deal with in, in, the, in, in Bible study, you have to see that in light of two contexts, the general context and the immediate context. And one of the principles of good Bible study is that you just don't take a passage of Scripture out of its context and, and try to understand it separate from its context. It's like a diamond. Now you have a diamond ring and you have a beautiful diamond and, and you have a setting for that diamond. Now the setting or the ring itself is really not that valuable, but it's essential. And it holds up and it displays the diamond and without the setting, you would lose the diamond. So that you'll really never understand passages of Scripture unless you see them within the setting, within the context. Now there is a general context for this passage that I've just read. And the general context comes on the heels of, or is in the setting of verse 5, the word begins with wherefore, and it, it suggests a continuing thought. So that what he deals with in verses 5 through 10 is a continuing thought of the general context of this how-to section. And the general context of the how-to section is being a Christian when everybody else stops. Being a Christian when nobody else does. So that what he's going to deal with in, the, in, the, in this passage is what he's dealing with in the entire context, and that is how to live a Christian life in a practical way. Now the specific context is verses 1 through 4, how to be a good citizen. How to be a good citizen and a good Christian at the same time. In other words, it seems that he's telling us that, that a good citizen is a good Christian. And if you want to live a Christian life, you have to live it within the sphere of this community called, you know, um, Durant, America, or, or, or the United States, and that involves your relationship to your government, see. So how to be a good Christian involves being a good citizen. And he said, as we looked at last week, you know, why should I submit to the authorities? Well, there are three reasons. One is because God supports law and authority, the second reason I should submit myself to authority is because the government, the authority is an arm of God and when you resist authority, you resist God and you pay a tremendous price for that. And the third reason I submit to authority is because of an internal conflict. My conscience bothers me when I don't. So that the way to live with a good conscience is that I submit myself to the authority that God has placed in my world. And on the basis of that, I pay taxes. Now there are three issues, and if you're following along in the outline, there are three issues that this passage deals with. Loans, love, and law. And I want to give you the three issues in, in, in a sentence, each one in a sentence, you just fill in the blank. The first issue has to do with loans, and it means this. The issue is this. You pay back what you owe on time. You pay what is due, and you pay it on time. 
Now, if I'm going to try to help somebody to live a Christian life, and I'm going to use Romans 13, I've got to begin with this, that the way you demonstrate Christianity is that you pay your debt on time. Second, love. Love is the demonstration of what is best. That is, it is seeking the highest good of others. That's the highest definition of love I can give you. Agape love is seeking the highest best, the good of another person. Now, if I'm going to live a Christian life, I'm going to have to commit myself to seeking the good of others. And then there is law, and law is fulfilling what is commanded. So that in living the Christian life, I need to fulfill what is commanded of me by the law, in the law. All right, let's take them separately and try to find some meaning of some words here. With regard to loans, owe no man anything. I was reading somewhere the other day, and I guess it's true, that more than two out of three people live on somebody else's money. That is, more than two out of three people in this room tonight are, are deep in debt. Count me in the two. <laughs> so that, that most of us, 70 to 80% of the people who are sitting in this audience tonight are living on somebody else's money and you are deeply in debt. Now when he comes to this passage and he says, Owe no man anything, you know, how am I going to deal with that? What is God talking about there? is he saying that you and I are not to be engaged in installment buying. I'm here to tell you installment buying is here to stay. And there are very few of us tonight who would have anything, including the clothes we wore in this, audit, in this auditorium, without installment buying. You got here in an automobile, you're paying on the out on the credit and you're sitting here with clothes on you bought on the, with, a, with a plastic credit cards most of you seven out of ten of you over two of, out of three of you installment buying is here to stay is that what he's saying? if he's saying that we are not to be engaged in installment buying this church is in trouble because this church is a million dollars in debt I hate to tell you that what is he talking about when he says, Oh, no man, anything? We need to do a little word study here. Now, the word oh there is in the present imperative tense. Present tense means continuous action, so that he's saying, Don't continue to be in debt. Imperative suggests an action that is already taking place that we're supposed to stop. And so he is saying, in essence, stop this continual owing. Now, when do you owe somebody something? You owe somebody something when the payment's due. Now, I got a couple of notes, and <laughs> there's a banker here tonight who can testify that I have some notes. And when, is the, when are those notes, when, 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 when are they due? Well, they're due on the date of the payment of those notes. What I think that Paul is talking about is not 
forbidding installment buying or buying on the credit. What he is talking about is forbidding the practice of going beyond the point of time when that payment is due. And what he's saying in essence is not don't owe with, you know, on installment buying. What he's saying is that when the time comes for the payment of that debt, don't just keep on owing it, pay it. It would amaze you tonight how damaging it has been to the Christian faith and to the ministry of every New Testament church the fact that God's people are delinquent on their debts. And it hasn't been that long since I was sitting in conversation with a person who is saying to me, you know, the thing that just really troubles me about Christianity is that many of the people who are the leaders of churches, Christians, owe me money and won't pay me. Now there are some of you tonight who have a strong conviction that you ought to do everything on a cash basis and I commend you for that and I encourage you to hang on to that conviction. Just don't use Romans 13.8 to support that conviction. It's just not in the context. What he's saying is that when you have a debt and the debt comes due, pay it. Now the problem with installment buying is, and, and you know, and, uh, I mean, you can, get, you can get gold cards and silver cards and plastic, you know, you can get platinum cards and purple cards, and, and people are calling us all the time saying, you just got this wonderful credit, have another card, you know. All you got to do is let us get your name right here on the dotted line. The problem with installment buying is that you get so far in debt you can't pay when the time is due, right? So, you know, uh, conversely or on the back side of that, in the, he is saying, you know, oh, no man in that sense. All right, second. He says that this is our debt that we love one another. Now, there are two New Testament words, two Greek words that are translated another. One of those Greek words is another of the same kind. Now, it's easy for us to love other people like us, isn't it? I mean, who have the same values that we have, who think like we, have, think like we do, dress like we do, talk like we do. It's easy to love somebody who looks like you and is like you. That's one New Testament word. The second New Testament word translated in English to English, uh, Greek word, is another of a different kind. Now, it's not as easy to love somebody of a different kind who doesn't think like you, doesn't act like you, doesn't smell like you, dress like you, doesn't have the same value system that you have. Amazingly enough, that's the word in this text. And what Paul is saying is, is that you're to love people, love others who are not like you. That you are to love those folks that are difficult to love. Now there's an illustration. I want you to take your 
hand and just turn to the book of James chapter 2. There's an illustration of that. I'm gonna, everybody turns to it now. I'm going to read chapter 2 verses 1 through 8. James is the little epistle over back by the book of Revelation. I'll help you find it. Go to Revelation, take a left, and you're in the neighborhood. All right? The little epistle of James reads like this, verse 1. My brethren, now he's talking to Christians because he says, my brethren. Now watch this. It's, it, it, he's having to tell people in the Christian community not to be prejudiced. And he's having to tell people in the Christian community not to judge people on the basis of externals. You'd think that would not be true, but it is. That within the Christian community there is a tendency for all of us to love only folks that look like us and think like us. So he's writing this to, to, to guard against or to warn against prejudice or judging on the basis of externals. Now look what he says. If, for if a man comes into your assembly with a gold ring and dressed in fine clothes, and there also comes in a poor man in dirty clothes, and you pay special attention to the one who is wearing the fine clothes, listen to me, young people, and say, you sit here in a good place. Hey, man, come on down to the front. And you say to the poor man, you stand over there or you sit down by my footstool. Have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil motives? Listen, my beloved brethren, did not God choose the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which He promised to those who love Him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Is it not the rich who oppress you and personally drag you into court? Do they not blaspheme the fair name by which you've been called? If, however... You are fulfilling the royal law according to the scripture. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. You're doing well. Now let me tell you what's happening here. In that time, in James's day, they just had these small places where they worshipped. And they had this guy who was really an usher in our context. He sat at the back on a footstool. And when somebody came and the crowd was there, you know, he, it was his responsibility to help them find a place to be seated. Kind of like this morning, I was sitting up here looking out over this audience and folks were coming in. It was packed on the floor level here. and Folks went up in the balcony, were roaming around looking for a place to sit. And this guy would sit on his footstool and if a person came in with a gold ring dressed real well, he'd say, hey, we gotta, have we got a good place for you? But if a guy was dressed poorly and he, was, he didn't look like the rest of them, he'd say, sit down over here by my footstool, back here at the back, you see. In other words, James is saying that the duty of a Christian, if you're going to live the Christian life, you want to know how to live the Christian life? Then he's saying, love those people that are not like you. And this is the way you love them. You don't just love them by saying you love them. You, you love them this way. You don't judge them and make distinctions on the basis of the way they look or act. Let me tell you something. The more I look in this scripture, the more I find myself there. And I'm not so much concerned tonight about what I don't know about the Bible as what I do know about the Bible. That's what bothers me. Love one another. 
There is a second. There is a third. He says in verse five, he, verse nine. He says, and back to Romans thirteen. Verse the end of verse eight. He says, for he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. Now, what law is he talking about? He's talking about James's royal law. He says, if you love your neighbor. You have fulfilled the royal law, the highest law of God, and that is that you don't make distinctions. Now, 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 look here carefully. Watch this. He begins with verse nine, in verse nine, with two of the strangest words in this text. He says, "For this." Now, that word "for" can be translated two ways. It can be translated because of. Let me give you an illustration. A person, if a person goes down to the grocery store for a quart of milk, he goes down to the grocery store to get a quart of milk, right? He goes for a quart of milk. But if he goes to the doctor for his cold, he's not going to the doctor to get one. He's going to the doctor, why? Because he has one. Now the way you translate verse 9 is that way, because of this. Because of what? He's saying, he's making a statement. He's not giving a command. And this is what he's saying. Now watch this. He says, because you keep the royal law, you shall not commit adultery, and you shall not steal, and you shall not covet. You see what he's saying? He's saying that when you keep the royal law, when you do, when you love, with agape love, and when that love is flowing through your life, when you're seeking the best of another, you won't commit adultery. And when you're seeking the highest good, you won't steal, and you won't covet. You won't resent the fact that somebody has something you wish you had. You see, this is the answer to the Christian life. It's just loving someone with the highest kind of love. And when you do that, you won't have to have any commands, thou shalt not commit adultery and all that. You just won't do it. You follow? Isn't that amazing? I love it. When love is at work, then these things will never take place. Then there's fourth says, love your neighbor as yourself. Now, wouldn't it be wonderful if he had said, love your neighbor as you love Christ? But, but Paul says in Ephesians 5, no man despises his flesh. No man despises himself. No man despises his flesh. But this is what he does. He nourishes and he cherishes it. Oh, listen to me carefully. God knew what he was talking about when he said, this is the highest commandment, that you love your neighbor as yourself, because then he describes through the Apostle Paul what loving your neighbor as yourself means when he says that no man despises himself if he's, if he's normal, but rather he nourishes himself and he cherishes himself. Exciting words. The word nourish means to, it's the word extrapolate it means to feed or to mature. The word cherish means to warm with the body heat. It's like a little bird sitting on a nest warming the eggs. Now this is what he's saying. You want to know what it means to live the Christian life? Then you find that neighbor lives with you lives next to you in that dormitory or that person who lives across the street from you and you 
feed them and you mature them and you warm them like a mother hen warming the eggs. That's how you live the Christian life. Now there are three things that I see as relevant. I call them relevance. Number one, the only one continuing debt that honors the Lord is the debt of loving other people. The only continuing debt that honors the Lord is loving other people. Second, the only one penetrating command that fulfills the law, the only one penetrating command that fulfills the law is to love the person who is different. The only one penetrating command that fulfills the law is to love the person who is different. Third, the only one liberating truth that can liberate that kind of love is to love yourself. The only one liberating truth that can liberate that kind of love is to love yourself. Let's play this game. If you could be Anybody in the whole wide world, who would you be? Now, a guy was telling me that they played that game in his car. He had about five kids. And one of them said, you know, he'd be uh, Roger Staubach and, and one, you know, these heroes and sports stars and Raquel Welch and um, all that. Betty Grable for us old folks, and, you know. He said he got down to the end, and, and the little, the smallest one in the car, he said, okay, Chucky, it's your time. He said, I'd be me? And he said, well, why would you be you if you could be the only person, anybody in the whole world? And he said, I like me. You know, I like me. The one liberating truth that liberates you to love other people is that you love yourself. I'm going to share this story that I shared with the guys at, at noon. It was somewhere between Flagstaff and Al Albuquerque on a cold, snowy night when the Greyhound, Greyhound, when the Greyhound bus, well, it might have been Greyhound, Greyhound bus, pulled over in the dark of night and stopped out in the middle of nowhere and a young American Indian boy got on and he got on and he went to the, toward the back of the bus and he sat down and he was tired and he went to sleep and about 20 minutes or 30 minutes he woke up and he looked around and he went up to the front of the bus and he said have we come to certain certain little village and the bus driver said we passed that way back there and he said well I, I was supposed to get off he said well you you too late 
and the young Indian boy went back and sat down, and he was obviously, you know, just really, you know, trouble, worried, upset, distressed. So he got back up, and he went up to the driver, and he said, would you let me off, and I'll walk back. He said, I, I can't let you off. You'll freeze to death. He said, you'll have to go to Albuquerque and catch the next bus back. And the boy said, I don't have any money. So he went to the back and he sat down. And this lady, freelance writer by the name of Wearsby, said, I looked over at this young American Indian boy and I saw him, you know, just at his wit's end. He said, I spoke to him. I said, did you, did you go to sleep and miss your stop? He said, yes, I did. He said, well, why don't you just, she said, why don't you just get on up to Albuquerque and catch the next bus back? He said, I don't have any money. So she got up and she went to the front of the bus and she said to the driver, wouldn't it be all right? Couldn't you do this? Couldn't you get this boy on the next bus back? He didn't have any money. The bus driver said, oh, okay, forget it. I'll get him back. Just tell him not to worry about it. And so she went back to the back and she said to the young boy, everything's okay. You're going to get on the next bus and you'll get back to where you need to get off. And said she, so she kind of leaned back in her seat and they rode a while and she said, I was conscious of the fact that the boy was leaning toward me. And so I kind of looked to the side and he's leaning up to me and he kind of whispered, are you a Christian? It seems to me that the living of the Christian life is not that complicated. It's kind of treating people the way you ought to treat them. Let's pray together. Father, I pray now that you'll call unto you those that you would have to make important decisions tonight concerning Christian life. Have your way and your will in their heart, our heart, my heart. Or I pray in Jesus' name. Now we have three invitations here in this service. One is an invitation for you to Give your heart and life to Jesus Christ. I have a feeling that in every service there are some people who have never yet for the first time repented of sin and trusted Christ, Jesus alone. Maybe you need to come tonight as some came this morning to place your life in the church or just to come to say, I want to commit my life fully and completely to God, to Christ live for Him in a more effective way, to love those people that are my neighbors. While we stand to sing, we invite you to come.